don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. Alright guys, welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. Uh, got another great one today, perfect for leading us into the weekend. Uh, Aaron Von Wertham and Bitcoin Magazine have done a fourth in the Genesis Files series. Uh, and this is one that uh, particularly I have, uh, I'm really happy that he covered. Um, and it is titled The Genesis Files. With Bit Gold, Zabo was inches away from inventing Bitcoin. So let's go ahead and jump in to another little history lesson of the cypherpunks. As his Hungarian parents had fled post war Soviet regime to settle in the United States, Nick Zabo came to call the Californian Bay Area of the 1990s his home. Here, he was among the first to frequent the in-person, quote, cypherpunk meetings organized by Timothy May, Eric Hughes, and other founding members of the collective of cryptographers, programmers, and privacy activists centered around the 90s mailing list of the same name. Like the other cypherpunks, Zabo was concerned with the receding guarantees of privacy in an upcoming digital age and took action to stem the tide where he could. For example, on the Cypherpunk's mailing list, Zabo led opposition to the, quote, Clipper chip, a proposed chip that would have been embedded in phones, allowing the NSA to listen into all calls. Zabo had a particular knack for explaining the risks of such privacy infringements in a way that resonated with non-technical people, sometimes giving talks on the topic or even handing out flyers. The chip would eventually be rejected by manufacturers and consumers. But like the more libertarian-oriented cypherpunks, Zabo's interest in digital privacy was part of a bigger picture. It was not just about privacy alone. Inspired by Timothy May's vision as laid out in the Crypto Anarchist Manifesto, Zabo saw the potential to create a, quote, Galt's Gulch in cyberspace, a domain where individuals could trade freely, as described libertarian author Ayn Rand's novel Atlas Shrugged. The pseudophysics force field of the story, May and Zabo believed, could be substituted with the recently invented magic of public key cryptography. Quote, If we step back and look at what many cypherpunks are trying to achieve, a major idealistic theme is a Gandhian cyberspace where violence can only be make-believe, whether in mortal combat or flame wars, Zabo wrote on the cypherpunks mailing list. Yet, Zabo also realized that free enterprise needs more than just encryption as a security layer. Inspired by another libertarian author, economist Friedrich Hayek, he found that the basis of human society is, to a large extent, based on building blocks, like property and contracts, which are typically enforced by the state. To create a stateless, non-violent cyber alternative, Zabo knew that these building blocks had to be transferred to the online domain. This is how Zabo, by the mid-1990s, 
came to propose what he is perhaps best known for today, smart contracts. These then-hypothetical computer protocols could digitally facilitate, verify, and enforce the negotiation or performance of a contract, ideally without the need of any third party. As Zabo had famously argued, quote, trusted third parties are security holes, end quote. These security holes would be targets for hackers or criminals, as well as nation states during times of political instability or oppression. But smart contracts were only part of the puzzle. The second tool Zabo needed in order to realize his Galt's Gulch was possibly even more important. Money. Electronic cash. Digital currency, a cash for the internet, was always a central goal for the cypherpunks. But few dived into the subject matter like Zabo did. In his essay, Shelling Out the Origins of Money, Zabo described how, as first hypothesized by evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins, using money has been embedded in the very DNA of humans. Having analyzed pre-civilized societies, Zabo found that people across cultures tended to collect scarce, easy-to-carry objects, often to make jewelry out of them. It was these objects that served as money, which in turn allowed humans to cooperate. Game-theoretical, reciprocal altruism through trade, at scale, and across time. Zabo also took a keen interest in free banking, a monetary arrangement advocated by Hayek, where private banks issued their own currency not bound to any particular state. Under such a system, it's completely up to the free market to choose which money to use. While a novel idea today, and even more so in the years before Bitcoin, free banking was a reality in the United States of the 1800s, as well as in several other countries. Zabo also went on to put his interest into practice and sold his expertise as an internet commerce consultant by the mid-1990s, long before most saw the potential of online commerce. Most notably, he spent some time working at David Chalm's DigiCash startup, headquartered in Amsterdam. Chalm's company introduced the first digital cash the world had ever seen in the form of eCash, a means to make payments online as private as cash in real life was. But it was also at DigiCash where Zabo learned about the risks of Chalm's solution. DigiCash was a centralized company, and Zabo found it was far too easy for him and others to mess with people's balances if they had wanted to. Trusted parties are security holes after all, and this risk is perhaps nowhere bigger than with money. Quote, The problem in a nutshell is that our money currently depends on trust in a third party for its value, Zabo argued in 2005. As many inflationary and hyperinflationary episodes during the 20th century demonstrated, this is not an ideal state of affairs. End quote. In fact, he considered this trust problem such an obstacle that even a typical free banking solution could suffer from it. Quote, Private banknote issue, while it had various advantages as well as disadvantages, similarly depended on a trusted third party. End quote. Zabo knew he wanted to create a new form of money that did not depend on trust in any third party. 
Based on his analysis of prehistoric money, Zabo had come a long way in figuring out what his ideal money would look like. First, it had to be, quote, secure from accidental loss and theft. Second, its value must be, quote, unforgeably costly and therefore considered valuable. And third, quote, this value had to be accurately approximated by simple observations or measurements. Best compared to precious metals like gold, Zabo wanted to create something that was both digital and scarce, where this scarcity did not depend on any third-party trust. He wanted to create a digital gold. Quote, Precious metals and collectibles have an unforgeable scarcity due to the costliness of their creation. This once provided money the value of which was largely independent of any trusted party. Precious metals have problems, however. Thus, it would be nice if there were a protocol whereby unforgeably costly bits could be created online with minimal dependence on trusted third parties and then securely stored transferred and essayed with similar minimal trust, bit gold, end quote. Bit gold. Zabo first came up with bit gold in 1998, though he only fully described it in public in 2005. His proposed digital money scheme consisted of a combination of solutions, some of which were inspired or resembled previous electronic cash concepts. The first central property of BitGold was proof of work, the cryptographic trick utilized by Dr. Adam Back in his anti-spam currency, Hashcash. Proof of work represented the unforgeable costliness Zabo was looking for, as it required real-world resources, computing power, to produce these proofs. BitGold's proof of work system started with a, quote, candidate string, basically a random number. Anyone could take this string and mathematically combine or hash it with another newly generated random string. By the nature of hashing, the result would be a new, seemingly random string of numbers, the hash. The only way to find out what this hash looks like is to actually create it. It cannot otherwise be computed or predicted. The trick, also utilized in Hashcash, is that not all hashes are considered valid within the BitGold protocol. Instead, a valid hash must, for example, start with a predetermined number of zeros. Because of the unpredictable nature of hashing, the only way to find such a valid hash is trial and error. A valid hash therefore proves that its creator expended computing power. This valid hash would, in turn, be the next bit gold candidate string. The BitGold system would, therefore, grow into a chain of proof-of-work hashes, and there'd always be a next candidate string to work with. Whoever would find a valid hash would quite literally own that hash, similar to how a person that finds a bit of gold ore owns it. To establish this ownership digitally, BitGold used a digital ownership registry, another Hayek-inspired building block proposed by Zabo. In this registry, the hashes were to be linked to the public keys of their respective creators. It was also through this digital ownership registry that a hash could be transferred to a new owner. The original owner would literally sign off on a transaction with a cryptographic signature. 
the ownership registry was to be maintained by a BitGold property club. This property club consists of, quote, club members or servers that would keep track of which public keys own which hashes. This solution somewhat resembled Wei Dai's proposed replicated database solution for B-Money. Both Zabo and Dai were not only active on the Cypherpunks mailing list, but also on a closed email list discussing these topics. But instead of Dai's proof-of-stake system to keep the system up to date, Zabo proposed a Byzantine quorum system. Similar to security-critical systems like airplane board computers, if only one or a minority of these computers should fall out of line, the system as a whole would continue to operate fine. Only if a majority of computers were to fail at the same time would the system be in trouble. Importantly, none of these checks required courts or judges or police backed by the state monopoly on violence. It would all be voluntary. While this system was not in itself 100% watertight, it could, for example, be sibyl-attacked, the sock puppet problem. Zabo believed it could work itself out. Even in a scenario where a majority of club members would attempt to cheat, the honest minority could branch off into a competing ownership registry. Users could then choose which ownership registry to use, which Zabo thought would probably be the honest one. Quote, If the rules are violated by the winning voters, the correct losers can exit the group and reform a new group, inheriting the old titles, he explained. Users of the titles, relying parties, who wish to maintain correct titles can securely verify for themselves which splinter group has correctly followed the rules and switch to the correct group. End quote. As a modern-day example, this can perhaps be compared with Ethereum Classic, which maintains a version of the original Ethereum ledger that did not undo the DAO smart contract. Inflation The next problem that Zabo had to solve was inflation. As computers improve over time, it would become easier and easier to generate valid hashes. This means that the hashes themselves can't function as money very well. They would become increasingly less scarce every year, to the point where abundance would dilute all value. Zabo figured out a solution. Once a valid hash was found, it had to be timestamped, ideally with different timestamp servers to minimize trust in any particular one. This timestamp would give an idea of how hard it was to produce the hash, an older hash would have to have been harder to produce than a newer hash. Markets would then determine how much any particular hash is worth relative to one another, presumably adjusting its value for the date it was found. A valid, quote, 2018 hash should be worth much less than a valid 2008 hash. But this solution, of course, introduced a new problem. Zabo knew, quote, the bits, the puzzle solutions from one period, anywhere from seconds to weeks, let's say a week, to the next, are not fungible, end quote. Fungibility, the idea that any currency unit is equal to any other unit, is critical for money. A shopkeeper wants to accept a payment without having to worry about the date the money was created. Zabo came up with a solution to this problem as well. 
he envisioned a sort of second layer solution on top of the BitGold base layer. This layer would consist of a type of bank, though a securely auditable bank, since the BitGold registry was public. These banks would collect different hashes from different time periods and, based on the value of these hashes, bundle them into packets of a combined standard value. A, quote, 2018 pack would include more hashes than a 2008 pack, but both packs would be worth the same. These packs then were to be cut up into a specific number of units. Finally, these units could be issued by the, quote, banks as a private and anonymous Chalmian eCash. Quote, Competing banks issue digital banknotes redeemable in solution bits whose market values add up to the face value of the banknote, i.e. they create bundles of standard value, end quote, Satoshi explained. Thus, BitGold was designed as a gold standard-like base layer for a free banking system of the digital age. Bitcoin in the 2000s, Zaba went on to earn a law degree to understand the law and contract reality he wished to replace or replicate online even better. He also started to collect and publish his ideas on a well-respected blog, Unenumerated, which covers topics ranging from computer science to law and politics, but also history and biology. Quote, the list of topics for this blog is so vast and varied that it cannot be enumerated, end quote. Zavo explained the title. By 2008, ten years after first proposing it in private, Zavo brought up BitGold on his blog once again. Only this time, he wanted to realize a first implementation of his proposal. Quote, BitGold would greatly benefit from a demonstration, an experimental market, with, for example, a trusted third party substituted for the complex security that would be needed for a real system. Anybody want to help me code one up? He asked in the comments section of his blog. If someone responded, it wasn't in public. BitGold, in Zabo's proposed form, was never implemented. However, BitGold did serve as a key inspiration for Satoshi Nakamoto, who published the Bitcoin white paper later that same year. Quote, Bitcoin is an implementation of Weidai's B-Money proposal on Cypherpunks in 1998 and Nick Zabo's BitGold proposal, end quote. Bitcoin's pseudonymous inventor wrote on the Bitcoin Talk forum in 2010. Indeed, it's not difficult to see BitGold as an early draft of Bitcoin. Apart from the shared database of ownership records based on public key cryptography, the chain of proof-of-work hashes has an eerie resemblance to Bitcoin's blockchain. And of course, the names BitGold and Bitcoin are not too far apart either. Yet, unlike systems like Hashcash and BMoney, BitGold was conspicuously absent from the Bitcoin white paper. Some have even considered this absence so notable, they took it as one of several hints that Zabo must be the man behind the Satoshi Nakamoto moniker. Who else would try to hide Bitcoin's origins like this? Still, while similar to BitGold in several ways, Bitcoin did include some improvements over Zabo's design. In particular, where BitGold still relies on trusted parties to an extent, 
Servers and the timestamp services must be trusted to some degree not to collude. Bitcoin was the first system to solve this problem entirely, and it solves it very elegantly by having the required proof-of-work system serve as both an award system and a consensus mechanism in one. The hash chain with the most proof-of-work is considered the valid version of history. Quote, Nakamoto improved a significant security shortcoming that my design had, Zabo acknowledged in 2011, namely by requiring a proof-of-work to be a node in the Byzantine-resilient peer-to-peer system to lessen the threat of an untrustworthy party controlling the majority of nodes and thus corrupting a number of important security features, end quote. Further, Bitcoin has a very different monetary model than Zabo proposed, with a fixed inflation schedule that remains unaffected by hash power increases altogether. As computing power on the Bitcoin network increases, it just means that it's harder to find new coins. Quote, Instead of my automated market to account for the fact that the difficulty of puzzles can often radically change based on hardware improvements and cryptographic breakthroughs, i.e. discovering algorithms that can solve proof-of-work faster, and the unpredictability of demand, Nakamoto designed a Byzantine-agreed algorithm adjusting the difficulty of puzzles, end quote. Zabo explained, I can't decide whether this aspect of Bitcoin is more feature or more bug, he added, but it does make it simpler. All right, and there we have the fourth in the Genesis Files series by Aaron Von Wertham. Um, uh, again, it was titled The Genesis Files. With Bit Gold, Zabo was inches away from inventing Bitcoin. I really love this series, and I hope you guys are enjoying it as much as I do. Um, I, I have been reading about the history of this stuff for a long time, but I still love, A, getting a refresher, but I swear I, every one of these always has a couple of nuggets of... Uh, a digital gold, if you will, um, in uh, in kind of the history or just some little tidbit that I didn't know that was really cool. Um, uh, in fact, I actually wanted to uh, read something. There was a there was a specific section. Um, I loved this section in particular. If the rules are violated by the winning voters, the correct losers can exit the group and reform a new group inheriting the old titles, he explained. Users of the titles, relying parties who wish to maintain correct titles, can securely verify for themselves which splinter group has correctly followed the rules and switch to that correct group, end quote. So I thought that was really epic in the sense that um, like that's what we see today, like full nodes are... They fully validate and propagate the which state of the blockchain is accurate in the ledger, and they will absolutely reject any dishonest extension of that chain. And they essentially are deciding and verifying for themselves which blockchain represents real Bitcoin, or in the case of his explanation, BitGold. I just thought that was a really, really excellent and simple way to articulate the fact that verification happens on the individual side. Um, 
But that one does not require much uh, commentary, I don't think. It kind of speaks for itself. So another thank you to Bitcoin Magazine and Aaron Von Wertham uh, for doing this series. I've been really loving it, and I hope it keeps coming. Uh, You can find them on Twitter, at Bitcoin Magazine, or of course go to BitcoinMagazine.com. And um, uh, Aaron Von Wertham is at Aaron Von W. Uh, That's his tag on Twitter. And obviously, I will link and uh, tag both of them in the post, so they'll be very easy to find if you uh, just check out the show notes or the Twitter post. All right, well, that'll close out today's episode. I hope you guys enjoy the weekend. Uh, Don't forget to follow me at The Crypto Economy on Medium and Twitter, and of course, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and please leave me a review and share it with all your friends Uh, If you like the podcast, we want everyone to hear about all the cool stuff going on in the crypto economy. And if you would like to support the show, um, you can also uh, donate to my Bitcoin address or go ahead and buy your Trezor hardware wallet to secure your Bitcoin and many other cryptocurrencies by using my affiliate link, which I will post in the Twitter page or in the Twitter um, comments, uh, as well as um, on the show notes. So thank you guys so much as always, and I will catch you on Monday with another episode of the Crypto Economy Podcast. Take it easy, guys.